It's not my way to love you just when no one's looking. It's not my way to take your hand if I'm not sure. It's not my way to let you see what's going on. From Tuscaloosa, Alabama, this is Aspect Radio. I'm Corey Kraft. And I'm Ben Flanagan. Corey's going to tell us a little bit about his trip to the Nashville Film Festival from a week or so ago. He's got a lot to say about that. I know you saw, what, how many movies? 26, 27 feature films. In how many days? Eight days. Good Lord, man, how are you still walking right now? Plus two just for fun outside of the festival. Just going to throw that out there because it's impressive, I know. You can tell us about those two. Yeah, I will. So from April 18th through April 25th, a couple weeks ago, I was in Nashville, Tennessee for the Nashville Film Festival. That was eight days in which I saw about 26 or 27 feature films as part of my press duties covering that festival and saw a lot of releases, smaller more independent releases that we'll be seeing released this summer, along with some stuff that's already come out, like Jeff Nichols' film Mud, which is now playing at the Cobb Hollywood 16 and around the state, but that opened the festival on April 18th. So I'll just run through, I guess, a lot of these movies that I saw, because I saw some of the best movies of 2013 so far at this festival, and a lot of really great stuff. You know that guy? I've never seen him before. What'd you say, boys? You got crosses in your heels. Nails. Shaped like crosses. Before. Ward off evil spirits. I'm waiting on my girlfriend. She got these birds tattooed on her hands here. Nightingale. Good luck, birds. I just can't spend the rest of my life running away with him. She don't care about nobody but herself. Are you stuck off in that island? Because of her. Ma'am, have you seen this man? No, sir. Son, have you? What do you do? This river brings a lot of trash down. You got to know what's worth keeping and what's worth letting go. You never said your name. Mud. You can call me Mud. You haven't seen Mud yet, have no, you? No, and I want to start with that, too, because it is playing in yeah, Tuscaloosa. It's, it's in most theaters in Alabama, like most major theaters yeah, in Alabama. Yeah, I feel Alabama. like it's, it's got a fairly semi-wide release at this point. Which is strange to me, especially considering Take Shelter didn't play wide this or anything. This is kind of a, the polar opposite of tone uh-huh. of Take Shelter. Um, it, you know, like, like you said, same director, Jeff Nichols, who is, you know, I love Take Shelter. I love his debut film. Shotgun Stories, and I love Mud. I think this is a terrific movie, but it's more of a an old-fashioned action story about these two young boys who live on the Mississippi River who come across a sort of charismatic drifter played by Matthew McConaughey in what is probably, and this is, a, you know, this is this didn't mean anything until a couple of years ago, but it means something now. It's probably his best performance. He plays this drifter named Mud uh, who lives on this island in the Mississippi River and comes across these two boys and starts spinning these elaborate stories about who he is, who his past is, why he's there, and uh, the way the story unfolds is is so interesting that and fairly complicated actually that I, that I'm not going to get too much into it. But you know, one of the boys, the main character, is played by Ty Sheridan, uh, who's probably the kid with the least to do in the Tree of Life. But he's and he gives an like amazingly impressive performance here, along with a supporting cast that include Reese Witherspoon and Sam Shepard and Ray McKinnon. They're all terrific. It's just a really smart, really fun, really exciting movie that goes in directions that you don't expect. Do you think that this movie is something that obviously would appeal to Southerners 
but is it something that gets your highest recommendation as a Southerner? Is it something that you think people must see if they have the chance to see it here? I mean, yeah. Wait, is it like, yeah. is this a movie that you think Tuscaloosa would specifically embrace? Yeah, I, I really do. And, and it has the weight of the sort of classic Southern literature, even though it's not a, you know, it's an original story by Jeff Nichols, but it has this this grand depth of feeling and this this novelistic structure that's really really special. And, and like you said, I mean, it is a great Southern movie because it depicts this very specific lifestyle on the river. I guess it's in Arkansas. It conveys so much with its details, and these are details that a lot of Hollywood representations of the South don't get. You don't you don't get this this level of attention and care and intelligence in these Southern stories from non-regional filmmakers, I guess, or you don't get them as often. And Jeff Nichols, regardless of of where he's from is just a really amazing talent. Well, and good for him too for casting people who sort of understand the region. Yeah. As well, like even Matthew McConaughey, somebody who's from Texas, he's one of the guys who I think can pull off Southern. You mentioned Ray McKinnon, Oh Brother Where Art Thou was on TV. Last night I was actually watching it and his fight scene with George Clooney just cracks me up yeah, so much. That's pretty great. You can't swear at my fiance. <laughs> So anyway, what's next? Well, let's see. The next night, Friday, was the screening of the latest film from the director of Smashed, uh, James Ponsult, called The Spectacular Now. This is a romantic comedy that I think gets released in August, starring Miles Teller and uh, Shailene Woodley. You might know from Rabbit Hole, which featured Nicole Kidman in her Oscar-nominated performance. He's also in the Footloose remake. He plays the Chris Penn role. Uh, and Shailene Woodley, of course, uh, was in The Descendants. Okay. Apparently, Andrew says, in an ABC family television show that I've never heard of. But she's very good in The Descendants, and both of them are absolutely terrific in this, in this movie, which is, I'd be willing to stake on it, if this gets a wide release, it's going to take off, because it's really phenomenal. And it's one of the most affecting young romances and portrayals of not only being a teenager in love, but being a teenager full stop that I've seen on film in a really long time. And it also has a great supporting cast with Brie Larson, Jennifer Jason Lee, who kind of has to be in these teenage coming-of-age movies, and, and Kyle Chandler, who has a smaller role but basically walks away with the movie. Saul Goodman, too? Yeah. Bob Odenkirk uh, in, a, in a supporting role. He doesn't get the most to do, but he, it's fun to see him. Nevertheless, I mean, this is just a terrific movie. There aren't any trailers out there for it. There's not even a poster as far as I know, but this sort of charmed everybody at Sundance this past year, and it certainly charmed the hell out of me when I just saw it. I think it's really going to be a popular, really special movie. Can't wait. Yeah, yeah. I saw, after missing it at a couple festivals, the indie western Dead Man's Burden, starring, I think as the actress who's on ABC's Nashville, Claire Bowen, along with Barlow Jacobs, who is an indie actor who pops up here and there in, in a lot of things. Like I think he had a small role in The Master, even. But this is a movie that had been talked up a lot by our friend Benjamin Stark, who saw it at, at Sidewalk, I think. I missed it there. I missed it at the New Orleans Film Festival, but I finally caught it here. And, and it's a really smart, really interesting, and visually very impressive indie western from a debut director, uh, Jared Moshe, who I think also uh, wrote the screenplay and sort of used his knowledge of the atmosphere of the country post-Civil War to 
create this metaphorical like examination of a family of a divided family in this desolate frontier landscape and and it's not something i want to say too much about but it is a very very interesting little uh, indie western and and quite frankly the phrase indie western is a phrase that should i ever have the option to say that again i'm i'm going to be very very grateful because that's a genre that i love to see especially on the big screen especially in widescreen and uh i'd love to see more of those would you call meek's cutoff an indie western yeah 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 is this better than meek's cutoff no oh man it must not be that good then oh haters gonna hate <laughs> haters always gonna hate plus plus meek's cutoff was filmed in the academy ratio so it wasn't like a like a Sweeping, sweeping widescreen yeah. western, but but Meeks cut. I did see Meeks cut off on the big screen. Sounds really ambitious, though. Yeah, yeah. It, it is, and it's it's sort of like a like a chamber piece because there are like four or five characters in the movie with with significant roles, but you know a lot of attention is paid to their psychology. You know, it's it's not without its flaws, but for, for a debut feature, particularly such an ambitious debut feature, it's pretty awesome. The next day, Sunday. I mean, this is. Day by day, I saw so many movies, so I'm just trying to give the broad strokes. Mm -hmm. I did a double feature of films by the very young, the 23-year-old Canadian wunderkind director, uh, Xavier Dolan. So his debut feature from 2009 called I Killed My Mother, which is just now getting a release in the United States. And his latest film, which I think is getting a small release this summer, presented by Gus Van Sant, a two-and-a-half-hour, very epic character study called Lawrence Anyways. I Killed My Mother is, is an hour and a half long little light comedy about you know another coming of age story starring Dolan himself about a young gay teenager struggling to connect with his mother and you can see a lot of promise in that and it's a, it's a fun, pretty affecting little movie but Lawrence Anyways is about 45 minutes away maybe even 35 or, or 20 minutes away from being a masterpiece. There is a masterpiece buried within that film that's sort of undone by its slight self-indulgence and a distended runtime, as you'd expect from a movie that long. But the performances are so good, and when the movie hits, it hits hard. And that's the story of a middle-aged teacher who reveals to his girlfriend that he's transgendered and wants to live out the rest of his life as a woman. Uh, and the sort of decade-long process of that happening and their on-and-off relationship throughout that period of time. I mean, that's that's ambitious material for a film, but he pulls it off like amazingly well, even though that film just slightly suffers because there's just so much in it. If it were just a little shorter, I, I think it would would be one of the best films of the year so far. So this guy, 23 years old, this filmmaker, has he got the chops? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, he's made three films. I, I I haven't seen his second film, but I think they've all played at the Cannes Film Festival. Not in competition, but that's still... I mean, he's legit. And there are moments of just amazing skill and real talent and real beauty in Lawrence anyways. That Yeah, I mean, I can see why, why Gus Van Sant took an interest in the film because this is talent that reminds me a lot of Van Sant. You can look at something like this film and, and pull out all of the various influences that have gone into it, but, but Van Sant's a major one. And, and for a young director to have pulled off a work that assured, if not you know, slightly crippled by its indulgence, is, is amazing. 
I mean, it's a really towering work. You know, even if I don't think it's perfect, I still just, I, I love it. Definitely worth seeing for the patient viewer. Yeah, maybe we'll find it on Netflix one day. Yeah, one day. I saw the film Kantiki, which was an Academy Award nominee for Best Foreign Language Film, though subsequently I discovered something interesting about it because the version that screened at the uh, the festival was entirely in English. And, and what I learned is that the filmmakers of Kantiki filmed the scenes twice uh, in Norwegian and in English, and the Weinstein Company, which is releasing Kantiki, released the English-language version, of course, in America. Uh, I don't like this film very much. I mean, it's it's a, a handsomely mounted adventure story, and I think it's fairly thrilling here and there, but it doesn't really have much of a pulse. It never comes to life for me, and, and it's not because the performances are bad, but it's like this is um, just sort of your standard fare, to be honest. It's it's Norwegian filmmakers doing Hollywood and, and doing the sort of empty gloss of a Hollywood treatment of this story, and, and it was a pretty significant disappointment for me. You know, apart from the skill of the filmmaking, I don't really see the Academy Award attention, to be perfectly honest, but it is what it is. The absolute best film I saw at the festival, and my favorite film of 2013 so far, uh, is Sarah Polly's documentary, Stories We Tell. I'm interested in the way we tell stories about our lives, about the fact that the truth about the past is often ephemeral and difficult to pin down. Well, I guess if you could start by describing Mom in as much detail as possible. My memory of Mom is she was a fun person at parties, that she laughed loud. Michael was a private person, and Diane was not a private person. She yearned for more. She was very warm, you know, full of life. But I do think it's really interesting to look at this one thing that happened and how it's refracted in so many different ways. What I overheard was mom saying that she was pregnant and that she wasn't sure who the father was. I was like 13 and my sister first told me, you know, your dad's probably not your real dad. I remember we talked about how you didn't look like dad and dad joked about it. Someone thought your father might be someone that mom had acted with in a play. You might want to meet up with Harry Gawkin. He can probably shed more light on the possibility of your mother having had an affair with a member of the cast. You asked him the question, have you ever heard anything about my mum having had an affair? Was it Tom or Wayne or Jeff? Was there ever anything romantic in your relationship with mum or was it always just friendship? Now, we've talked a lot about Sarah Polly on this podcast before. We reviewed her film, Take This Waltz, guess last year which is a film i think we both really appreciated stories we tell and i don't want to say a thing about the plot of this movie because or the plot so to speak it, it's it's sort of a documentary memoir but a great amount of the power of this film comes from the surprises that it unveils and the sort of directions that it takes as being not only an examination of polly's family but of the nature of storytelling itself you know polly comes from a very interesting family background and the first part of this film is basically an examination of who her mother was her mother died when she was very young and sort of an examination of the secrets that her mother may have held which morphs into something considerably more interesting that i don't want to hint at you know the answers are out there but if you have any inclination to see this film and you should don't seek them out you know this is a film that uh, is so powerful and so expertly constructed. It's the work of... I knew that Sarah Polly was an extraordinarily talented filmmaker, 
before, you know, in her narrative works. But this sort of seals the deal of her being one of our foremost young film directors and and just to create a work this powerful of out of a subject that's so intimate and so painful for her and her family it's just a a masterwork of of sort of this confessional memoir filmmaking so she's become a director now whose work you cannot miss top tier yeah absolutely absolutely and and this this movie is is just an astounding astounding work I mean, it's it's the sort of thing. I mean, I hope that the Bam Art House picks up. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. It seems like one that they would definitely jump on. I I really hope that they do. This seems up their alley. So if anybody from that organization or or planning uh, listens to this show, please please put that on your list of things to consider because I think it's it's really wonderful. I saw Ben Wheatley's new film, Sightseers, which is a very dark comedy from the British director who recently brought us Kill List, a a horror movie that I liked a lot. It follows... uh, vacationing couple as they travel um, through the British countryside uh, to various uh, locations of interest and inadvertently at first start killing people until they purposefully start killing people and uh, it devolves into a very, very black comedy, but uh, it's a movie that I enjoyed. I think uh, Edgar Wright is one of the executive producers of the film, and it doesn't quite share his sensibilities because it's it's a considerably darker than that. So it takes itself more seriously. The poster would suggest a comedy. It is very comedic. It's very funny, but it's very very dark. Huh. For for certain sensibilities, that'll that'll really hit the spot. But it it doesn't shy away from the violence and and from the uh, total absurdity of the premise. So um, that's uh, worth checking out. I think that might be on demand in a couple days, if not already. Probably it might be as of the time this is released. That cool 88-minute running time must have been a nice contrast to the 168-minute stuff like Lawrence anyways. Yeah, it was. (laughs) Or the five five hours of Ulrich Seidel's uh, Austrian Paradise trilogy, which I saw all of. Oh, man. And they're not good. I'm not even going to dignify them by talking about them. Really didn't like that. Uh, Luckily, I got to break that up a little bit. Another terrific documentary I saw that premiered at Sundance this this year is called After Tiller, a controversial work just based on subject matter about the four remaining physicians in the country who perform late-term abortions after the assassination of Dr. George Tiller, I guess in 2009 or 2010. And what this film expertly does is regardless of where you fall in the abortion debate puts a human face not only on these physicians but on their patients and tries to bring a little bit of nuance into the conversation by by sort of conveying what sort of person does this procedure and what sort of person performs this procedure on others a very potent very provocative political documentary there that is well worth checking out Sounds heavy. It is heavy. It is very, very heavy, but it's uh, it's for the sort of person who would be interested in that. Absolutely worth seeing. A upcoming very big indie release from Fox Searchlight, which I think is coming out in July, is The Way, Way Back from writer-directors Nat Faxon and Jim Rash, 
best known as the dean on Community to us. And both of them are Oscar winners, of course, from co-writing the screenplay of The Descendants with Alexander Payne. So they make their directorial debut with this comedy, which stars Steve Carell, Tony Collette, sort of Little Miss Sunshine reunion there, Allison Janney, Sam Rockwell, Maya Rudolph, and a young man making his film debut here, uh, Liam James, who plays our central teenage protagonist, a, a reserved awkward teenager brought to his mom's new boyfriend's beach house one summer who finds a way to break out of his misery by befriending the uh, local manager of a uh, water park played by Sam Rockwell, who does his insanely manic Sam Rockwell thing here, amped up. It's a pleasure for fans of him. Though I don't think I loved this movie as much as the crowd at the festival and as much as audiences will probably love this movie when it comes out later this summer. It's, Big crowd pleaser, Yeah, it seems like. It's very funny, and it has you know Steve Carell interestingly playing against type here as a total dick. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, unrepentant. But it's not, it's not the sort of movie that I found much depth in regrettably you know there's not a whole lot to it other than it's it's jokes a lot of which are very very funny but a lot of which just i mean there's the movie doesn't really stick with you i guess and jim rash and nat faxon are actually in the movie too yes, right they play small roles and, and, and jim rash actually gets a couple of the funniest lines in the movie just because i think I find him funny anyway. Uh, but, I mean, it's got a great cast. It's the sort of late summer comedy that I think will play well as an antidote to the bombast and of the big blockbusters. At that point in the, in the, in the year, you're looking for something a little bit more low-key and a little bit more character-based in its humor, even though I don't find these characters to be particularly, I don't know, I don't want to say well-developed, but particularly shaded, I guess. You know, maybe it's just because of when I saw it in a festival setting, but it's a, it seems like the sort of thing that might play a little better in July than it did at the fifth or sixth day of a fairly heavy film festival. Right. So I don't want to be totally uh, negative about it. I think it's, like like you said, it is definitely a crowd pleaser, and it's definitely the sort of thing that's going to play well with audiences, more so than it played with me. So I think that comes out in limited release the July 4th weekend or something like that's that. That's right. Look for that. Wrapped up my festival with the early summer indie comedy. I think it comes out the last weekend of May. The Kings of Summer, starring Nick Offerman, Megan Mullally, Allison Brie, and some young men whose names I can't remember. The film follows three teenagers who are fed up, I guess, with their family life and decide to build a house of their own in the woods and live off the land. This this is a very, very funny movie. I think the advertising material calls it Stand By Me Meets Super Bad. And as much as I hate boiling down... Uh, films to reductive ad lines like that it's not too far off it's an r-rated comedy so you get you know, nick offerman being funny and that's that's enough for parks and recreation fans but but it also does have quite a heart and it's um which is one of those coming of age stories that it's made it doesn't reinvent the wheel but it's made so well enough as to be satisfying nonetheless and allison brie always a draw yeah she doesn't have the biggest role but yeah oh, she's well. uh She's, I mean, you're not going to complain seeing Alison Brie no. in a movie. Or Megan Mullally, too. Yeah, she's, does, really, she's really funny. In i got to say, you know, I'm recently acquainted with Parks and Recreation, but I've seen it all up to this point now. Uh-huh. But Nick Offerman and Megan Mullally, when they share a screen, right. they're brilliant. Yeah, Offerman in particular is really, really funny in this movie. Yeah. So uh, worth checking out only for that, even though it's it's 
quite visually nice looking for a debut feature as well and the kids are pretty good too they're they're fun awesome so so check that out i think that's may 31st i don't know how limited that will be but i mean again like with a lot of these alleged indie movies they're so broadly appealing that there's no reason to think that that won't get a wide release at some point. And then finally, wrapping it up, because I know droned on long enough, the uh, closing night film was called Unfinished Song, a um, UK import with Terrence Stamp, Vanessa Redgrave, and Gemma Arterton. follows an elderly man whose wife uh, is diagnosed with, well, she's been struggling with cancer, and she this latest batch is, is proven terminal. But her passion lies in this uh, community choir group that she's participating in with other uh, elderly members of the community. And she is such a positive person in that group. And he is such a generally, you know, grumpy Terrence Stamp sort that they sort of resist, like he sort of resists this at first. Later through events that are probably pretty obvious, but I still won't reveal. He joins the choir and it's sort of a feel good tearjerker thing that again i think a lot of audiences are going to like a lot more than i did something like quartet and the best exotic marigold hotel that's going to appeal to older audiences but i do want to say that this movie does feel a lot less like a sitcom than the best exotic marigold hotel and is a lot more emotionally engaging than quartet even so it's it is a better film than than those films even though it's not one again that particularly did anything for me so those all sound great and they're obviously the highlights of the festival my question is because i've never really gone like full bore at a festival like uh-huh. that before i mean i've been to festivals but i just i haven't seen you know 26 movies in the span of like six or seven days mm-hmm. because part of me feels like it would almost feel like work at that point and i know it was to an extent yeah. for you but you also love movies and you know you love to watch them and soak them in and it feels like you don't really have time to really soak in even one of these movies because you have to move on to the next one well that's true and and there were a lot of difficult movies that i saw near the end of the festival like uh, the paradise trilogy which i mentioned and um carlos regattas's can film festival award winner post tenebra lux which is crazy surrealist non-narrative feature filmmaking that has moments of real beauty along with moments of frustrating indulgence these are all movies that i would have liked a lot of time to ruminate on though in hindsight having ruminated on them since i saw them i still don't like them very much since post tenebra lux has just received its theatrical release in new york the critical consensus seems to be pretty similar to what i took away from it there are instances where in that setting though you you do want to pump the brakes you do want to say you know i'm gonna have to take some time and and you know i'm done for the day and that did happen on one or two days but i still got a lot in yeah it just seems like with a movie you mentioned lawrence anyways or the sarah Polly documentary or the movie about the third trimester abortion it just seems like well these are ones i need to like step away from and you know sleep on or these are ones that i might need a few days to sort of think about before i can actually you know have much to say about it instead no, of like right. moving moving on to this 88 minute comedy about you know these killers right. like sightseers and it is very hard to sort of i don't know ferment any sort of legitimate thought on on a movie like these movies that are so ambitious right and so heavy while you're in that setting but you just kind of you just have to roll with it yeah this ain't your first rodeo either yeah. right this is the I guess the second significant festival, no disrespect to Sidewalk, which is wonderful, but but it's a weekend festival. This is the second extended eight 
day festival that I've done um, after New Orleans last year. And even in New Orleans, I, I didn't stay the whole time. Yeah. This is the first one I saw through from beginning to end. Well, I don't mean to ask you to compare them, but which one did you like better? Well, you know, the the great thing, the really great thing about the Nashville Film Festival is that it is all located at the same venue. Uh, they basically rented out six or eight screens at this multiplex, this Regal Theater in, in the Nashville, in the Green Hills area of Nashville. And all the films are there, and they're all in the same hallway. And you go there, and you stay there, and you stay there as long as you have movies to see there. And, and the thing about New Orleans, which I found a, a really wonderful festival too, is that unfortunately a lot of the venues are very, very far apart they're certainly not within walking distance so that does require some consternation in in getting from venue to venue and you certainly can't cut it very close like if you've got a movie starting 15 minutes later at at another venue you're kind of out of luck but in nashville you just walk across the hallway which is a wonderful thing at a a festival like that where you're trying to cram so much in apart from that i mean the, the atmosphere was great lots of interesting guests and and the staff was never not helpful for especially for an accredited press member trying to do a job there and and Basically, I got in everything that I really wanted to get in. Virtually no complaints about it. Did you run into our friend Craig Hamilton? Yeah, the first night. I didn't see him too often. I don't know how frequently he was able to make it, but um, yeah, but we hung out a little bit on the first night. Yeah? Yeah. Is that the first time you'd ever met Craig? I think it is the first time I'd ever met him in person. He's a frequent contributor yeah. to our show and to filmnerds.com, so... Well, excellent. That all sounds fantastic, Corey. We appreciate the recap. And I know that people can go back to Tusk205.com and read more thorough recaps. Yeah, they sure can. Again, these were written like super early every morning. And and after 20 or so films, I don't know how coherent they are. (laughs) But uh, check them out. They they exist. (laughs) That's all I can say about them. All right, then. Well, find us on Twitter and Facebook at Aspect Radio. We're on iTunes. Just search Aspect Radio. Visit Aspect Radio Show. Dot com. You can read Corey on Tus205.com. You can read me on Ale.com. And we appreciate Andrew, as always. Until next time, I'm Ben Flanagan. And I'm Corey Kraft. This is Aspect Radio. Thanks for listening. But I'm easy. Yeah, I'm easy. Give the word, i play the game. So that's how it ought to be. Because I'm easy. Don't lead me on if there